You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here's your hosts, Christy and Scott. Hey, it's Old Timey Crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And I'm going to tell them a story that they maybe don't know. I don't know. I have a feeling that this one... There's a possibility one or both of you might have heard about it in one way or another. I drink a lot and forget things instantly, so this is fine. There we go. (laughs) So uh, my sources for this week are Wikipedia, Sandra Rimmer on Abroad in the Yard, uh, just Leah on Ripley's, the Bristol Law Society, the Bristol Museum Gallery's Archives, (laughs) and... Do you know this? No, but Bristol is English slang for tits. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. All right. All right. All right. And uh, I I hate to say it, but uh, David Wilkes on the Daily Mail, they did have a little bit of information that nobody else had. So I just, I don't like the Daily Mail. So every once in a while, they they have a good one. So yeah. Yeah. Well, even a stopped clock is right twice a day. So. Um, Unless it's one of them 24-hour clocks, then it's it's only once a day. Or, as my ex-brother-in-law said when uh, I started dating Jackson, even a blind squirrel gets a nut once in a while. (laughs) Even the ugly guy gets laid every now and then, but sometimes he has to pay for it because he's ugly. I was the blind squirrel. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, this is brought to us by friend of the show, Jamie. If you've listened to some previous episodes, you know that she occasionally brings us some really interesting finds. So this is... (laughs) Hi, Jamie. This is the story of John Horwood. Now, this is a murder that was actually... It was turned into a book. Never a movie, but it was turned into a book. Um... He is the son of Thomas Horwood, who was a minor, and Phoebe Horwood, who was, and he was either the third child or the youngest of 10. <laughs> those are different any things. <laughs> yeah, those are very different things. One of these things is not like the other. Tomato, tomato. Yes. So he was born April 10th, 1803 in Hannam, which is a suburb of Bristol in South Gloucester, Gloucester, something. It's one of those two. Gloucester sauce. <laughs> In South Worcester sauce. So, of course, we need to have some Bristol pubs. We have the Wishing Well Pub and Carvery. The Whackham Inn. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sensing a favorite. The Trooper. The Jolly Sailor. The Ostrich, The Dark Horse, Hobgoblin, and my personal favorite, favorite aside from Whack'em In, Whack'em In, yeah, is Ye Shakespeare. Nope, Whack'em In. Yeah. Wins. Whack'em In is pretty good. Yeah. That feels like whenever you get in there, but you're bored and she's not moving around a lot, so you got to kind of like, like. Whack'em In. Put whack, you know, whack it off while it's in. You got to Whack'em In. <laughs> oh, dear. So John Har- Horward was born April 10th. As I said, this was 1803 that he was born. 
This was a mining family in a mining town. He did actually work in the industry for a couple of years, um, but then his brother died in a mining shaft explosion. So he noped out of the profession after that. He said, this is not for me. I'm not going to be your canary um, or get some canaries. So he also may have gotten involved with the Cock Road Gang. Yeah! <laughs> okay, so... Horwood, Cockroach Gang, and Wagamin. This is where we're yep. at. Yep, yep. We're like, what, two minutes in? <laughs> I'm liking it already, Christy. Keep mm -hmm. going. <laughs> good, good. And oh, then they so... went to Ye old Vagina Shop. And... <laughs> now, Horwood was a bit of a creep fest. He got obsessed with this girl named Eliza Balsam. She was a little oh, bit older oh. than him. Oh, my God. <laughs> These, these names are incredible. This is great. This is great. Horwood needed some balsam. Just made <laughs> he, sense. He really wanted some balsam. He followed her around everywhere all the time. This was like his new full-time job to the extent that he lost his actual full-time job. That's dedication. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wait. He kept... Wait, what was he doing for a living again? Well, he wasn't mining anymore, and nowhere specifies what his ah, full-time job was. I was hoping it was something filthy. He, I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking there's a possibility that he could have been like, well, I don't want to be a miner anymore since my brother died, and it just so happens that I have this new full-time profession of following Eliza Balsam all over town, so th these two work well together. So that could have been maybe, you know, part of the reason that he left mining. Who knows? But uh, So he... Kept it says it said he kept proposing to her, but I think that can also mean proposition. Just just thinking, probably maybe maybe, maybe might have been some dirty proposing, and she gave him the no every single time. She was she was flat out just said no, never gave him any hope. And the thing about this is also that the various articles that I read, some of them you could definitely tell fell on one side or the other. The ones that fell on his side would say that they were in a relationship and then she left him. And um, th they would uh, leave out some other stuff and vice versa. The ones that were against him would say, no, he was just a creepy stalker. So he escalates to threats, of course. And naturally she's like, no, screw this and starts trying to find ways to avoid him. He swore that he would mash her bones to pieces if he ever saw her with another man. Oh, that's wow. not, not cool. Not cool at all. Not cool at all. If I were her, I'd be very scared. I'm sure she was. In 1820, keep in mind, he's like 17 at this period of time, 17 and 18. Um, in 1821, he starts just tossing sulfuric acid on her, as one does. When that's, one is a creepy psycho fest. I was going to say See, that's... No, I really thought you were going to say tossing salad. And now I'm upset that he was throwing acid on her. Yes. And it said multiple times. We don't have a number, but we do know it was more than once. Jesus oh. Christ. Jesus. Yeah. yeah. And the articles that were on his side definitely always left that part out. Wait, how <laughs> was... can anyone be on some this dude's side? There's a, well, a, if you don't talk about any of the bad things, exactly. If you say they were in a relationship and she left him, then he's the wronged party. If you don't mention that he threw acid at her, then oh, he looks so innocent. I don't like to use this term a lot, 
because I think for the most part it's bullshit, but this is the very definition of toxic masculinity. It's a man oh, yes. using toxic chemicals. <laughs> yes, yes, it's very, it's literally toxic masculinity. Absolutely. And, and like more than likely his reasoning behind it was, was literally to scar her so that another man probably wouldn't want her. That's, that's just a guess based on where he was at psychologically. Like if I can't have you, then no one will want you. Very good point. Yeah, he seemed to have a very strong, jealous streak in him. And this all uh, came to, I can't think, I was going to say came to a head, and then I was like, nope, don't say that. And I was going to say nope, came to a it. climax, and I was like, nope, don't say yep, that. Both of them. <laughs> this all came to a head climax. <laughs> you know, those are, those are pretty rare. You usually have to get into a 69 for that. <laughs> January 25th, 1821. She's out there just trying to live her life. She's hanging out with some people, including a few men. He sees this. He throws a rock at her. And here's another place where the articles differed. If they were on his side, it was a pebble. That was, was um... three feet wide. And covered in acid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it hits her in the right temple, and she may have tumbled into the brook. She manages to get home, but she's vomiting. Her head hurts super bad. And eventually a fever starts to creep up on her and the wound is inflamed. It does seem kind of minor at first. She does try to treat it at home, but it's not really healing. She goes to the infirmary a couple of times and then eventually in late January, they admit her. Enter Chief Surgeon, Dr. Richard Smith. He says it's a depressed fracture so he does some and i'm not entirely sure how to pronounce this trepanning trepanning ah trepanation it's trepanning uh trepanation is one of the oldest surgeries in history it's whenever you drill a hole into the skull to relieve pressure on the brain and there is evidence of trepanning all the way back into some caveman skulls but it really seems to fall into favor around the time of ancient egypt okay Pulling into favor or out of favor? Into favor. Okay, all right, all right. Yeah, it was kind of, it was almost like a, a cosmetic surgery thing at that point to have been trepanned. Well, in, wow. in ancient Egypt, most of their surgeries, correct me if I'm wrong, Scott, you'll know more about this, but like what I remember is they use almost like crochet hooks. I remember uh, like with the mommies, they would use like a crochet hook to remove the brain. They were pretty, oh. they were honestly pretty clever, yeah, but they did use like a hook. They, they would go in and remove sections of the brain uh, for mummification. But for antiseptic, they used honey, which is incredibly infect effective as an antiseptic. And for stitches, there are these large ants uh, that, uh, that bite that were around uh, Egypt at the time. So what they would do is they would have somebody close the wound and they would press a live ant down to it. Instinctively, it would bite and then they'd take their thumbnail and pinch the head off. And it would be strong enough to close the uh, close the wound. Wow, that's pretty impressive yeah. for early medicine. Indeed, I love the amount of knowledge that you possess. <laughs> Thank you. Very Thank impressive. Aw, ancient Egyptian surgery techniques. <laughs> <laughs> Don't use them today. Honestly, though, like I wouldn't go for the ants, but if you need some antiseptic and for some reason you have honey and not rubbing alcohol, use the honey. It's quite it's quite effective. I actually probably have more honey than rubbing alcohol after that news article broke with how to make chloroform. I like, I mean, I'm out of rubbing alcohol is all I'm saying. 
(laughs) (laughs) Dear Lord. So the wound was still infected. Dr. Smith, he does some trepanning. uh, And now it's unclear whether... The she gets an abscess. It's unclear whether it came from the trepanning or if it was already there and they found it through the trepanning. But one way or the other, there's infection because it's 1821. And the idea of washing hands between, you know, like touching corpses and treating patients wouldn't even be floated for more than a quarter of a century. And you, even after that, it took forever to take effect. You forgot, I mean, we really just started doing it. You forgot scratching your itchy asshole. Yeah, yeah. Just really anything. Just shoving that finger up your nose, you know. <laughs> like, it's it's absolutely. They, they seriously, they would go. The doctors would go straight from examining infected corpses to uh, help giving birth to a baby. Not they themselves giving birth to a baby, but you know, being part of that mechanism. And yeah, that was why they, that was how they eventually discovered because one hospital, there were two hospitals in close proximity to each other and all the women started avoiding one hospital because so many women died after childbirth there. And the one doctor, he figured it out that it was because at that hospital, they did autopsies and they were, you know, in the morning they'd do autopsies and in the afternoon they'd go and deliver babies. And somewhere in there, they would eat lunch with their unwashed fucking hands. Dr. Witherspoon, take that finger out of your ass. I saw it was just up your nose. (laughs) I'm not worried about your pretend tiny animals. So not the cleanest of conditions. And on February 17th, Eliza dies. Smith, Dr. Smith, he points the police towards Horwood and they go after him. He tries to escape out his window and it just said in his shirt. Uh, never entirely sure what that means in, in old timey texts. Is it just a shirt? Do they mean nightshirt? What's going on here? I am. Th- I was I was actually thinking his nightshirt, his pajamas. Okay. All right. So probably in his nightshirt. Look, probably looked super silly. I hope he had one of those like nightcaps on too. And his a little. Probably hanging out the bottom. And a little candle on a plate with with a ring on it for him to oh, hold. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very, very Scrooge-ish. Very Dickens. <laughs> Absolutely. So then he grabs a quarryman's hammer, which is sort of like a, a pick uh, with a shorter handle, it looks like. He stands there on the stairs threatening everyone, uh, puts up a huge struggle. They do manage to get him cuffed and stuffed into a carriage, <laughs> which is always kind of funny to imagine. I don't know why. And then there is the trial. It is on April 11th, 1821 at the Star Inn in Bedminster, where I tried to look it up to see if it was still there. There does appear to be a bar called the Star. I'm I'm rhyming now, Uh, but it doesn't seem to be the same place because that's like established 1908. And obviously this is prior to that. But at the Star Inn, I did find an article that six years later, a man was killed by a lion. Oh, in the end, there, there was just a lion hanging out getting a room for the yeah. night somebody brought like a whole bunch of exotic animals to the star inn as a, as like an exhibit as to bring people in and this one local guy who was like i have some experience with animals he came in and the person who owned the animals was like yeah okay just don't get too close to them and then he got too close to the lion and uh, you know god damn <laughs> carol baskins <laughs> <laughs> we found carol baskins husband <laughs> one of them that was her yeah. first one. Yeah. 
<laughs> the other one she just had a real creepy marriage ceremony with. <laughs> Actually, that no, technically that was her second. She was married before the guy that uh, that guy. So yeah, to, to that guy that just got eaten. No, the, yeah. he's had three husbands. So there oh, is. I don't know. Dawn, the one she fed to the tigress. I know she probably didn't, but she probably did. And then there was a a, a second one. He might have been just a fiance. But he actually put down in a paper, she has threatened to kill me several times. I need a protection from abuse from this woman. And then the one that she took the creepy wedding photos from who looks like, he looks like Data from Star Trek. But just like if you got Data too close to the furnace and he was made out of wax and he started to melt. Wow, that is an impressively accurate description. (laughs) So good. Thank you. So the prosecution, uh, Smith testifies for them against Horwood. The other off evidence is our favorite pseudoscience, a phrenological report, bumpy heads. <laughs> now, well, her head got... had an extra bump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, they did a phrenological report on him, and it was performed by one Mary Ann Schimmelpenick. Yeah, baby. She was a writer who was big in the anti-slavery movement. Uh, Props to her on that, but not props on the whole head bumps thing. So his head bumps, he didn't have the murder bump. He did have ones for, this is weird, combativeness, hope, and self-esteem. Okay. He had a lot of hope. (laughs) He did have a lot of hope at one point in time regarding, uh, regarding Eliza. Misguided, though it was. The defense really didn't have much, but it's noted in one source that they never really bothered to mention that maybe dirty dressings could have caused the abscess. They probably didn't know at that point in time, for God's sake. These dressings are fine. They've only been used seven or eight times. Yeah. I just took it off the corpse. It was clean a moment ago. Yeah. He is found guilty. Uh, In jail, he did write, Lord, thou knowest that I did not mean to take away her life, but merely to punish her, though I confess that I had made up my mind sometime or other to murder her. Oh, that's not a good thing to say. Not I didn't mean to kill her that time. I wanted to fuck with her a little more before she died. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Eventually I was going to kill her. Not right now. That was totally an accident, me throwing a rock at her and killing her. So he is hung two days later on April 13th, which I checked. It was a Friday. Beautiful. Beautiful. And this was three days after his birthday, his 18th. There were huge crowds. They had to like warn people on flyers that they were crowding by the river so that people wouldn't fall in and drown. And this probably part of the reason there were huge crowds was because this was the first execution at the new Bristol jail. They actually had to put up a temporary gallows for it. Before his hanging, he wrote a poem. Oh, God damn it. Why do they do this? Why? Why? Roses are red, violets are blue. I'm going to be dead. My face will be blue. Fuck! (laughs) I used the same word twice. Can I have five more minutes, executioner? (laughs) In a rhyming dictionary? Yes. Um. How about soon you'll be through? That's good. I'll take that. Fucking pull the goddamn lever. So the poem he wrote, which we do have, John Horwood is my wretched name, and Hanem gave me birth. 
My previous time has been employed in rioting and mirth. Eliza, oh, Eliza, dear, thy spirit, oh, is fled. Thy and thy poor mangled body lies now numbered with the dead. Cursed is the hand that gave the blow and cursed that fatal stone, which made thy precious life blood flow, for it has me undone. <laughs> I guess if it's, if you say it in, in certain English accents, it probably could rhyme with stone, but it really, if you say it in American accent, it falls right apart at the end. Uh, Your Honor, I'd like him to be hung. Uh, and if we can, uh, bring him back to life using CPR and then hang him one more time for the poem. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he sang it. So like in the My Corona song, Donald Trump and what the fuck rhyme. That's true. So, I mean, if you're singing it, you can really make anything happen. Yeah, yeah, you've got a point there. There was an old country song where the line was, I, I think it was actually Coal Miner's Daughter, where the line was, in the days we worked hard, in the nights we were tired. And that was a rhyming line. And I just, I always thought that was hilarious. He goes, What's a good rhyme for tractor? Pillow! <laughs> <laughs> By George, you got it. <laughs> so the actual court order was in line with a law passed in 1752. This was an attempt to scare people out of doing so much murdering. Uh, they passed a law saying that murderers would be dissected after execution. So the actual court order, John because Horwood... Because the dying wasn't enough. I know, like, right? <laughs> and I read recently that they, they even... They hung people not just for murdering, but for other things like pickpocketing, which was ironic because the gallows scene was a great spot to do some pickpocketing. So clearly it wasn't doing the job. <laughs> Good Lord. So the actual court order is uh, John Horwood, convicted of the willful murder of Eliza Balsam, let him be instantly hanged by the neck until he shall be dead on Friday the 13th April instant, and let his body be delivered to Richard Smith of the City of Bristol's surgeon to be dissected and anatomized. Uh, I realized that I said that I looked up that it was Friday the 13th. Well, that was before I found that particular court order, so I'm still taking credit because I am. <laughs> <laughs> Deal with it! Some of his friends, his family begged the body to be released to them, but the court order was there and Dr. Smith wanted that, that body for dissection. Some of his friends did make a plan to steal the body. They were going to like hijack the, the, the coroner's wagon or whatever. <laughs> Dr. Smith, he was one step ahead of them. So he said, we're doing it at night. <laughs> and that's when they did the body transportation in order to avoid having the, the corpse be stolen. This was uh, the dissection or anatomization was in front of an audience of 80 and the results, uh, I mentioned there was a book, they, the results along with all the information about the murder, the trial, the subsequent execution, they were all compiled in the book and part of the dissection is the removal of skin. Now usually you just toss that out, but Dr. Smith, he was a big fan of anthropodermic <laughs> bibliopegy. Anthropodermic. What are you saying? Skin suits. Skin suits. No, not quite skin suits. Uh, anthropodermic bibliopegy. Anybody? No. Uh, covering books with skin. That sounds yes. about right. Yep. They tanned the skin and used it as the cover for the Horward murder book. So <laughs> he had the creepiest library ever. Yeah. <laughs> 
at the beginning, you know how I said this murder was turned into a book? Literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Both the murder and the murderer were turned into a book. I was really hoping nobody would catch on to that. And if either of you did, thank you for keeping quiet. <laughs> so. It passed right over me, not going to lie. I was planning this for like the past week. Just that little phrase I kept on thinking, I can't wait to do that. <laughs> okay, so I can picture you. I haven't seen you in, in too long, but I can picture you at different points, like rubbing your hands together and giggling. Like, this is going to be so good. Like, <laughs> it's very close. Very close. Yes, you're, you're, you're quite accurate. I now kind of want a library full of uh, books covered with human flesh. I, of I course you do. I think it would be awesome. I'm not surprised at all. Well, if you would like that, you should talk to the Anthropodermic Book Project. They actually examine books that are supposed to be made or, you know, allegedly made with human skin bindings. There are about 50 out there that are purportedly made with human skin, and they've checked 31 of them. Only 18 are actually human skin. The remaining 13 of those they've checked are animal leather. Hmm. Check this This out. This is you make your own. I love this. Check this out. Still gets goosebumps. <laughs> oh, God. You can still see the book. It's currently at the uh, M. Shed Museum in Bristol. There's also, fun times here, um, a dissection table. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> okay, I'm back. There's also a dissection table uh, I believe used by Dr. Smith. The phrasing was a little unclear, but it was pretty clear that uh, after it stopped being used for dissections, it uh, took up a new life in a uh, home as a buffet table. Uh, oh. Oh. Yeah. Not going to those parties. I'm sorry. I'm I'm, I'm just going to RSVP. Uh, fuck no. <laughs> no. So wait, did he only make one book out of all that skin? Yeah. Some of it is, there's like a, um, at at Ripley's, you can see a square of the skin, has some notes written on it, kind of like, almost like a toe tag. It says, tan skin of John Horwood, executed at Bristol Hospital, 1821, for the murder of Eliza Balsam, R. Smith. Hmm. So he even signed it. He he gave it his his John Hancock. So uh, I'm not going to come to your dinner party because I'm not insane, you creepy ass fuck. Uh, Get lost. (laughs) He kept the skeleton uh, at his home. Is there any part of this guy that wasn't kept? No, there's not, really. I guess they they ditched the organs, I hope. Uh, When he died, it went to the British Royal Infirmary. Uh, That's the place where he did the, the lecture, I believe, and the actual dissection. Then after that, it went to Bristol University, where it hung in a cupboard. And by the way, all this time, the noose was still around. The neck. <laughs> Fuck. I like that touch. So his great 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 grandniece, Mary Hallowell, she found out doing some genealogy research, she found out about the book and the skeleton, and she went to see them. We have a quote from her about the book. The first thing I noticed was the awful smell. I can only describe it as rotting leather. With age, it had turned dark brown, but I could see a skull and crossbones embossed in each corner and the inscription, Cutis Vera Johannes Horwood, which translates as the true skin of John Horwood. And uh, she did have on April 13th, 2011, 190 years to the hour after his execution, 
a funeral. She managed to take ownership of the skeleton. It was attended by about 50 people. They had like a fancy carriage and kind of the style of the day. Buried Horwood's skeleton next to his father. And I think probably my favorite thing was uh, there was from the Daily Mail article, there was a in the comment section, which is just always a dumpster fire, but this was beautiful. It can be the tamest article about nothing, and it's still people who get up in arms and insult the crap out of each other. Oh my gosh. So this is a comment from Tuckster uh, on, in 2011 on the article. That's the bare bones of the story. 50 people at the funeral, then the wake, plus a nice coffin with all the trimmings. I'll bet the ushers thought the coffin a bit light. Will John get an honorable doctorate for becoming an expert in university cupboards? Or will Mary have to fork out for 190 years of cupboard rentals? The case continues. My God. <laughs> Somebody's a catty little bitch. Right? <laughs> so that is the tale of John Horward, the murderer who was made into a book. But you know what? It's, it's almost, in a way, it's almost sad. Like, yes, he was fucking crazy, but he was also only 18. Yeah, he hadn't really had time to develop and, and time to grow out of this bullshit. But he was really also, like, I'm sure... No, he was, he was crazy. Terrible, yeah. Yeah, no, he was crazy. He would have eventually killed somebody on purpose. Absolutely. But, like, I, I feel bad that his one and only murder was an accident and he was 17 when he did it. Like, that's, like... Like, I've thrown rocks at my brother's head. And easily probably could have killed him and didn't. So I guess I'm lucky in that regard. <laughs> yeah. But there's also, you know, now we, we, we might may or may not choose to try him as an adult when the crime was committed uh, under the age of majority. So there's also that factoring in. Yeah. See, like, I think I feel like if that happened in this day and age, though, like he would have gone to a psych ward probably after the first threat or at least the first acid attack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. So there was a whole lot of like time for warning bells to be going off, and everyone's like, "They're just kids. It's fine." Yeah, yeah. They don't mean it's... no harm. Yeah, he's just boys being boys, throwing acid on girls. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's still acceptable in some countries, though. So really, yeah, yeah I know. So thank you very much for joining us for uh, the tale of John Horwood. Uh, member of, you know, the uh, Cock Street Gang and Eliza <laughs> Balsam. <laughs> if anybody goes to the whack em in I want your picture. Do it. Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we hope you are taking care of yourselves and each other, uh, and we will see you later in the week with our full episode, which is, uh, I have a feeling we're about to record it, gonna be a doozy. <laughs> All right. We'll see you later. Bye! Bye. Bye.